This is the GGC Life Podcast. Looking through a lot of Bible verses, lots of stories. Uh, hopefully we get through the whole uh, thing. We'll see where we get. But um, I want to start off with a story. Uh, I started running, trying to get a little bit healthier. I haven't had Maccas all year. It's three weeks, but it's still an achievement. Um, anyway, but I found that I need to get up really early to go for runs. Otherwise, the day just escapes me. But the problem that I found with this is that if you're the first one up in the area, then you're the one, it's like who knew that some like saint of a person was clearing the pathway of all the spider webs every morning. <laughs> Has anyone ever gotten up early enough to go for a run and just ran into a million spiders? Is there anyone here with like arachnophobia as well? Arachnophobia, all right. Deliver them, Lord. Deliver them, Lord. <laughs> no fear, nah. Um, Yes, anyway, and, and I'm sharing this with Vanessa, just like, you know, I'm trying to be healthy, I'm trying to go for runs, trying to find a, day, a time of my day to go, and, and Vanessa's just like, her response is like, oh, those poor spiders having to rebuild their homes every single day. And I'm like, come on, wife, a little bit of sympathy. But um, she had empathy for the spiders in this particular situation. And, um, but it, did, it, it got us thinking, like Vanessa was kind of reflecting about how resilient these spiders are. Like every day, like how often do you, do, like if you see a spider web in your garden, you go through and you just tear it down straight away, right? Like you don't want the spiders building their webs there. Unless you're just like a saint. I mean, I, I struggle to kill bugs in my house because I, I think about how they only have one life. I don't think they're going to heaven, I don't think. And so I try and pick them up and put them outside <laughs> to enjoy the rest of their life rather than squish their horrible, miserable life. Let them, anyway. Um, but like, it's pretty natural. We tear down spiderwebs all the time. And Vanessa was like, um, it's pretty crazy. Like, for our, like as a, we've been married for five years. And I mean, I don't know what you guys think. This isn't a message about the property market. The property market's up and down and hot and cold and all this. It's just crazy. And we're like, man, it'd be awesome to buy a property. And we've been trying to like buy a house for like ages. Like I think we first tried to put a deposit down like like eight years ago, seven years ago. I don't remember. But every time we've done it, it's fallen through. And I'm just like, what? Like, what's the point? I can't. I can't. I'm just like, I give up. And the mess is like, these spiders are way more resilient than us. These guys, every single day. Imagine every single get day getting knocked back and just building again, again and again and again, never getting discouraged, just, just realizing that it's this or nothing. It's this or I die. And, um, and the spider kind of encouraged me. So that's your word for today. Be encouraged. Thank you very much. Let's stand. We're going to pray. <laughs> um, but I do want to talk about uh, I, what I want to chat about is I want to talk about, you know, the contending side of when we receive a promise. We've like, these last couple of weeks, we've heard these awesome words, um, you know, we're in a series on the supernatural, if, if this is your first week here, if you're joining us, check out the, the podcast the last couple of weeks. Um, but we've been building on this idea that, you know, of, of the supernatural realities that we have access to, and that God calls us to live in it by His Spirit. It's not by our power, not by our might, but by His Spirit. It comes from Zechariah 4. One of the prophets is speaking to God's people, and he's just saying, like, God's going to do this by His Spirit, and it's going to be to His glory because it's by His Spirit. And so we've been talking about all of this, and we're talking about His our, uh, supernatural inheritance, and we're talking about leaning into Him and seeking first the kingdom. And then I just thought, you know what, like, how many of us are in that place where we're seeking first His kingdom? But we get a bit discouraged because it's like, man, I've been seeking. 
Like I've been, I've been going after this thing and I've still yet to see it. I haven't seen the miracle. I haven't seen the breakthrough. I haven't seen that the promise fulfilled. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen what I'm looking for yet. The things that I've heard promised over me, they just feel so distant. And uh, like what's really beautiful about the Bible is that it's filled. Everybody say Filled. It's like filled with testimonies upon testimonies of people that went, that went through these, you know, these struggling moments and these contending seasons and they got to the end and God fulfilled his word. You know, the word says that God's word never returns void, but it goes out and it fulfills what it was sent out to do. It doesn't return empty. That's the power in God's word. Guys, we're talking about the same God that spoke the world into existence. Like imagine the, the awe magnificence of a being whose mouth opened up and out came suns and stars and black holes and the, the craziness of the universe that we live in and us. And it's, and it's beautiful. And that's the God we serve. It's like I was sharing this morning in... Um, the, the pre-meeting, I just started feeling on my heart that word about how, you know, the word says, uh, we, we sew up our treasures in where moth and rust destroy, um, but heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words will never pass away. It's like, do we still, do we realize what that means? It's like, we have so much faith in the world around us, in the people around us, in our family, in our friends. We've got like this trust and this conviction about the things that we, like the things we're so used to that our car just works. We think that's what's natural. That's what's normal. But you know, there's a God that transcends all of this. That's even realer, to use a fictionary word. Um, That's the God we serve. And that's the God we're contending with. He's with us as we contend for his promises. And guys, it's all throughout scripture we're encouraged to contend. Like uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 6.12, if you want some like encouraging, like that it's like it's a real thing. We're called to contend. Uh, Here's some scriptures. 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, fight the good fight. Everybody say fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, James 1.2 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast on trial. Blessed. Or blessed, if you want to sound more holy. For when he has stood the test, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Wow. Hebrews 12 verse 1 uh, through 4 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the heavens watching, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race set out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him, he had a joy set before him. He had a hope. He endured the cross. He had something. He had a hope. He had something to look out for. And he endured the cross because of it, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Even in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Wow. That's the sort of resistance we may be up for. But God still says, go, run the race, contend for that promise. It belongs to you. It's your inheritance. It's children's bread. 
And so God's encouraging us to contend. And I love the testimony of a moment where we see Jesus contending in the Garden of Gethsemane before he gets up on the cross. Jesus demonstrated keeping his heart and his mind on God's ultimate outcome. Who remembers in the garden, he's, Jesus says, uh, Father, um, may this cup pass from me. When he's talking about the cross and the suffering and the pain that he's uh, feeling in that garden. And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. He submitted his will to God. And in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, we see man tempted in the garden. But now in the Gospels, Jesus overcame temptation in the garden. In Genesis, man sought his own will and his own pleasure in the fruit, that thing that looked good to him. But in the Gospels, Jesus submitted his will to the Father. In Genesis, man brought a curse upon the earth, separating God and man by walking his own way, deciding his own place. And in the Gospels, Jesus walked with God and then freed man from the curse, making a way for man and God to walk together again. And this is the fruit of one who contends for God's ways. This is the fruit. This is what we're giving birth to. We're giving birth to a new world, a new reality, We're giving birth to freedom when we contend for the things that he's called us to. It takes discipline. If you want what God wants to release, it takes discipline. There's a pursuit required that goes against the grain. You know, sometimes, you know, we get, we're scared to try new things or we're, we're scared to go after something or we're, we're worried about the outcome and then we just, we leave it aside. You know, I remember, Many decades ago, my dad introduced our family to something called orange and banana salad. And let me explain how you make orange banana salad. So you chop up some oranges, chop up some bananas, you pour olive oil all over it, uh, add some chili flakes, chop up some cheese, and that's your orange and banana salad. Who wants to try some? (laughs) It doesn't sound great. It goes great with Italian bread. But you know what? Once I tried it, that's like, that's got to be my favorite afternoon, like, snack slash lunch or Sunday avo, uh, what do they call it, a liner? A liner? It's amazing. But if, I mean, it's sometimes it's like there's things that people offer you, like, who enjoys blue cheese? Does anyone enjoy, okay, so you guys are crazy. I've tried blue cheese and it wasn't great. But you know, when God's inviting you into something, sometimes it can be scary. And sometimes it can be very much against the grain. It's not normal. It's not what everyone else, people are going to look at you and think, what are you doing? This makes no sense going after that, going after this dream. And it's like, okay, yeah, if it was my dream, for sure. This is a pretty crazy thing. If God gave you that dream, if God gave you that word, you can take it to the bank. Amen. And so this is what we're talking about. And, and I want to explore what it looks like to contend, but by His Spirit. I'm going to look at three people in the Bible. Uh, we're going to look at Elijah. I'm going to look at Daniel. And I'm going to look at Joshua. These stories these, of contending that they went through. And uh, by the end, see if you can find the motif between the stories. Um, there's a bit of a hint on the screen. It might be to do with the number seven. But uh, have, a, have a check out for that. We're going to look at Elijah's story first. Uh, there's a bunch of reading scripture, so please, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. Let's read together. Bible, I mean, the Bible says when we get together, let's not forget to read scripture. Let's read the Bible. 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. That's where we're starting. 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to be reading from verse 41. So I'll give you a chance to flick there. The 
the real reason I ask you to go into your Bibles is so I can take a drink of water. So let's read. I've got it here. <laughs> Jokes. Okay. 1 Kings 18 verse 41. It says this. Then Elijah said to Ahab. So there was a, there was a massive drought in the land, just for context. There's no rain. Um, and it was because Elijah, this prophet, had actually prophesied that there'd be no rain in the land. It was, it was a disobedient, like... Um, the king was an evil king in that time, and there was this massive thing going on where people were worshiping a false god called Baal, and there's a whole backstory, but the main thing is this. Um, Elijah was prophesying, saying that, um, that God, when, when, the, when God showed himself as God, there was a story that just happened, the rain would come, and it would be the end of the drought, and so... Elijah, this prophet, now says to this evil king that the rain is coming. And so let's see this journey. His, his thing is, okay, there's been like a massive drought, and now the drought needs to be broken, but it needs to be broken now. I don't have time. It's not for later. It's for now. And so 1 Kings 18, verse 41, it says, Then Elijah, this prophet, said to Ahab, the king, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground, just, just for your information. Um, in Hebraic like, literature and history and culture, mountains always represented getting closer to God. They believed the heavens were, were the heavens, the sky, and God's there. And it's like, it's about getting close to God. It's about uh, leaning into Him. And, and he bowed low to the ground and he prayed with his face between his knees. And so he's praying for the rain. And then verse 43 says, He said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. So the servant went and looked out, then returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times. Everybody say seven. seven. Say it again. Seven. seven. Say it again. Seven. seven. Say it again. Seven. <laughs> I won't make you do it seven times. But seven times, Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hands rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted. He's excited. He's filled with faith in that moment. And he's saying, hurry to Ahab, the king, and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain's going to stop you. And so he sends his servant to give this warning. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. Wow. Elijah became a superhero, this verse says. And he tucks in his cloak into his belt. Have you guys read this? This is so cool. And he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. He was faster than the horses. He was flash. And so that's where DC Comics apparently got this inspiration from. Elijah was the original Flash, and he ran ahead. And so point number one is God will give you superpowers. No, that's not the point, but it's pretty cool. Um, first thing I wanted to bring up that I just, just like, like hit me in the, in the face here is like you might not see what's going on. Like you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. You're not seeing anything. You might not see, but we're still called to believe. <laughs> who hangs? Who, who here doesn't own a clothes dryer? Is any like yeah? Same. So like the people that you only only these people know my pain. You have to like figure out times of the day to try and get your clothes out. And sometimes you have to like quarter dry them. Like you dry them in the sun, and you got to bring them back in because the rain. If you got a whole week of rain. 
you just know that you're going to be smelling like damp clothes for the whole week. That's just the thing. I know the rest of you guys are so blessed to have dryers, and God bless you for it, but it's a real struggle. So I just want to let you, ask you to pray for me in this season until we get a dryer. But uh, the thing is, right, we're constantly checking the weather app, and we're hoping that it's not going to rain. But how often is this weather app, like it's, it's predicting rain, but it's blue skies. And so I, I need to risk it. I'm like, nah, I got to keep these clothes out. And me and Vanessa go out for lunch or we go out to hang out with something. And we come back and the clothes are soaked. It's happened so many times. And, uh, and it just, I was thinking about how like in a similar way, the amount of times God says something, it just doesn't make sense. Like with everything that we, we see in our lives, everything that we're going through, we're like, God, I, I get that you're saying that. But if you just, I mean, open your eyes, God. Look, look at what we, I, I can see plainly that this is not making sense. There's no resource for this. this uh, none of my friends believe that this is what God, you know, it's just a struggle right now. And it doesn't make sense. And God's saying, no, there's a harvest there. There's something happening or there's a rain coming or whatever. And he's trying to lead you. And, and sometimes what we do is we push God away because we can't see. But we are called to believe. We are called to live by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. And um, I love in verse 41, Elijah says, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. He says this before he sees any rain. Like, I don't know how he could hear a mighty rainstorm coming other than in the spirit to be able to speak out honestly this confession and say, there's a mighty rainstorm coming. And, and I was mucking around and saying, it's first evidence of word of faith movement that we have in the Bible. But, um, but the reality is, when we hear God and when His word is alive in our hearts, we can speak these supernatural realities and we can live in them before we see them. And that's how God is calling us to contend. If you've heard a word from God, you can live in that reality before you're yet to see it. That's the truth. So the question is, how's your prayer life? Elijah didn't stop. I'm not, I'm not talking about like praying grace before food or having a quick prayer in time of need. I'm talking about like where is your father-son relationship at? Where is your father-daughter relationship at? There's this, there's this dynamic. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. If you missed out, please grab the podcast. But we spoke about how... Prayer isn't some affirmation exercise. It's not some, uh, you know, confessional thing that uh, transforms you. But it's actually like God desires us to enter into relationship with Him. And He invites us to ask of Him things that He delights to give to us. And it's this invitation to have relationship. And God wants to draw us deeper into relationship with Him. Mark eleven twenty four says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe, is the key, believe, we are called to believe that you have received it and it will be yours. The key here is prayer. Pray. Pray. God's calling us to pray. James 4 verse 1 makes this case that like the chaos and pain that we see in the world is actually derived from orphan status. The people no longer go to God for what God is wanting to pour out to them. James 4 verse 1, this, this is a cool one to study in your own time. James 4 verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, things that you need or you're asking for? You desire, verse 2, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. It's like the rat race, the, the dog-eat-dog world. You covet, 
but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. But here's the thing. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you're asking with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Again, there's this idea of like, he's just looking for the spirit in us. He wants us to go to him, to ask of our father. And it's all about relationships and a relationship with God. God is calling us to contend for what he wants. We are called to believe. Everybody say believe. God's calling us to believe. When we're going through, when we're contending for promises, God's calling us to believe. The story of Daniel, I want to look at the story of Daniel. This is uh, found in uh, this story where Daniel is contending. Uh, we can find in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. So switching gears, another guy. Daniel 10, verse 1. I'm going to read it out. We've got this, this moment where Daniel is spending time before the Lord and he gets this crazy vision. Uh, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned. Everybody say mourned. He mourned for three weeks. It says, I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips. Talk about mourning. And I used no lotions at all until three weeks were over. Any guys that can relate, you lotion lovers. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen. So this is happening in a vision on the 24th day with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, freaky vision, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and they hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Okay, so this is obviously an angel. This isn't something, it's, it's something supernatural is happening. Verse nine, it says, then I heard him speaking and as I listened, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground and, my hand, and a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up for I have now been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Verse 12 says, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day, everybody say the first day, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me. 21 days he resisted me. Okay, remember we're talking about an angel. So this isn't some actual prince. This is, we're talking about the princes of the air. We're talking about uh, supernatural principalities of darkness. And... Uh, 
and the spiritual realm. Then it says, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Okay, so we know Michael, the, the one angel here, uh, messenger, listed by name is Michael, known as Michael the archangel. So we're, we're pulling this together and realizing there's, there's some spiritual warfare going on. From day one to day 21, there's this whole thing happening. And on day 21, now I have come to explain to you what will happen to people in your future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed my face toward the ground and I was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and I began to speak and began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I, I am overcome with anguish because of this vision, my Lord. I feel very weak. How can I? It's like sometimes we're so overcome with, with anguish about the words that God has given us and the things that God's revealing to us and things He's drawing us into. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. Okay, this is wild. This is like some crazy, psychedelic-sounding experience going on in the Bible where, like, there's these crazy-looking angels that have come to this man. I'm like, okay, how is this relevant to what I'm going through and contending for this promise? Let me tell you. I kind of, this was pretty much my message two weeks ago, but we may be discouraged, but God is calling us to lean in. Okay, so... Daniel was burdened with this word. And so often what we do when you're burdened with a dream or a word or something that God's given to you or He's calling you into, I'm telling you how many times, like I can't tell you how many times I've been discouraged and instead of leaning into God, I lent away into food or whatever else there was, like friends, family, TV, um, all sorts of stuff. I just, I, I enjoyed myself. And I, thinking that it would fulfill me, but it never does. You know, this morning, Elias woke up at like 5, 5.30, and he woke up like crying. And I was hoping he'd just fall back asleep. I was in the bathroom at the time, and uh, I, I, I realized Elias had stopped crying after a little bit. And when I got out, Vanessa had picked up Elias out of his cot and taken him to her room. I'm like, Vanessa, what are you doing? He's like, he's going to have a terrible day if he's, if he's up from this early. And Vanessa's like, no, 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 he was scared. I think he had a bad dream. And you see, Vanessa's, Vanessa's like, Vanessa loves this child. She's like, I can't let this, I can't let this kid suffer. Obviously, I've got issues and I don't love him enough or something. I don't know. But Vanessa hears his cries. And you know what? Elias knows, you know, it's so natural for a child to lean into their parents when something's going wrong. I think Vanessa, 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 <laughs> Vanessa said that he said, what did, you, what did he say? Like, I don't like it or, oh no, oh no, oh no. So I think there was something in the room or you were scared. I don't know. And Vanessa's like, she runs to his aid. That's the delight of a parent to run to their child's aid. And, um, and that's what happened in that moment. It's so natural for that. And when I walked in to the room, Elias is like, hi, Dada, hi, Dada. I'm like, I just grabbed him and chucked him back in bed. <laughs> so, Lord, forgive me. But, um, but it's, natural for, it's natural for a child to lean into their parents, and it's natural for a good parent to tend to them. How much greater is our Father in heaven? He, he knows, he, you know, Elias knows that his mom has a soft spot for his cries. God has a softer spot for your cries and the things that you're going through. And um, I'm, I'm telling you, like, 
Stop self-medicating. Who, I mean, we love coffee, right? Coffee culture, Australia. Every, how, many, how many, okay, who here has had at least a shot of coffee today? Awesome. Let's go two shots. Yeah. Three shots? Yeah. Nice. Four shots? Yeah. Four shots is two long blacks? Surely not five shots. All right. Five shots. There's a kid down the back. Five shots. We got, all right. Awesome. But here's the thing, right? Like, we enjoy, like, I, I need to have coffee in the morning. This is a problem. Like, Lord, deliver Australia, because we have the curse of coffee in this nation. But um, man's real best, friend, real best friend is coffee. But um, caffeine, you know, it, it wakes you up. It gives you energy for the day. It motivates you. And um, it accomplishes this by blocking uh, the sleep-promoting receptors in your brain called adenosine receptors. So what's going on is you're actually truly, really tired. Like, have you ever, like, accidentally or you've been, you found yourself unable to have coffee one day and you're just an absolute, like, jerk? you just, yeah, you're a mess. You're terrible. You're no longer saved, surely, because the things that are coming out of your mouth and the way that you're treating people, it's ridiculous. And sometimes, like, to save... <laughs> to try and to try and you know I get because I work here at church I get free coffees at the coffee machine so sometimes rather than quickly grabbing a coffee uh, before I come to work or something I just try and drive to church and I make a coffee at the coffee machine um, but it usually means that I'm I'm pretty irritable on the roads on the way to church I'll just put it that way and so it's not a good thing but um, why am I saying this you still need sleep. Coffee is not the answer. Everything else, like Adam and Eve, uh, they lent into this fruit. They lent into, oh, sorry, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they lent away from God. That's what we spoke about two weeks ago. They lent away from God. It's our natural thing when we got shame, sin and shame, we lean away from God. But the centurion, again, we spoke about this two weeks ago, he lent into God with humility, with desire, with desperation. And here's the key in verse two. Mourning, when it says Daniel mourned for, tw- uh, uh, for however long, uh, 21 days, uh, for three weeks, it says. When Daniel mourned for three weeks, it wasn't just this uh, depressive state that he was in. The angel saw it as, in verse 12, humbling himself before God to gain understanding. Imagine that's what our grieving and our mourning looks like. It looked like getting before God broken, broken and real and fair and vulnerable, but to gain understanding, to say, God, I'm done. I can't, how do I get to this place? It's lean in instead of lean out. Amen? And so this cool 21-day, what's the 21-day result? You know, the angel says, don't be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Peace, be strong now, be strong. And then Daniel says, Lord, you have given me strength. And after 21 days, strength is returned to this man. Strength is returned. One thing that comes to mind as well, just like a, a, a little tangent here, is that, man, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 talks about this. It says, put on the full armor of God, for our fight is not against flesh and blood. What's going on here is there's, this, there's spiritual warfare happening, things that we don't even see. In, in Hebraic literature, they wrote knowing that it was like a, a normal thing that areas, regions, 
uh, kingdoms, they, were, they saw it as there was literally a uh, spiritual principality hovering over that region or over that uh, power. That's the way they perceived it. And so it just reminds us, man, this isn't some fight that you can get done by power or might. It's got to be by His Spirit. Amen? We may be discouraged, but we are called to lean in. And lastly, Joshua's story. Um, okay, Joshua's story. There's so many sevens here. It's a big story. But I'm going to get you to, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point at you, and you're going to say seven. Okay? So you've got to look at my finger. Every time I point at you, you're going to say seven. Let's try it. Let's try it again. All right, let's read this. Now Jericho, this is uh, Joshua 6 verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up. You, you got, most of you, have, uh, you might know this story. Um, but what's happening here is Joshua, this man of God, is leading God's people into their promised land. Again, it's their promise. It's their inheritance. It's contending for something. But there's something in the way. There's a, a, a whole kingdom in the way that they have to go through. Okay, so Joshua 6 verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. So Jericho is the town that they're here to take over. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all, of, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the... Seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up. Every man straight before him. So this is God speaking to Joshua about what's going to happen, how it's going to all unfold. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests, I'm just going to read the sevens, bearing the seven trumpets of horns, uh, uh, ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the Ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. So this is like this massive... Uh, commotion going on. They're marching around the, the walls of Jericho and they're just marching. Nothing else is happening. They've got no battle plan. They're not, they're not planning to try and, you know, jump into the city and, and take it by force. They're marching around in obedience. Um, and now Joshua had commanded the people saying, this is, this is interesting. We'll take a look at this in a sec. You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. Verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city around it once. Then they came uh, to the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning. And the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And seven priests bearing seven trumpets before the ark of the Lord continually um, blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord. And it continues. And he says, and they did this for six days. They marched around the city for six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day. This is verse 15 that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day only, they marched around the city seven times. The seventh time it happened, the priests blew the trumpets and Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20. So 
people shouted when the priest blew the trumpet, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Okay. Big chunk of scripture there. What's the story about? You may not always understand what God's leading you into, instructions he's giving you. It, 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 sometimes it seems quite counterintuitive, illogical, unreasonable. I mean, seriously. But we are called to obey. God's called us to obey. That's what it looks like to contend. It looks like obedience. Uh, these battle instructions that were given to Joshua, they're super complex, they're specific, they're strange. Um, how many, you know, I, I remember, where were we driving back from? We were driving back from somewhere one time late at night, and uh, we were driving, and you know how you hit like a detour sign, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> the night's going to get a little longer. It was past midnight. And so we're, we're driving around and we're following these detour signs. And it's like completely turned us around after like five minutes. And we're thinking, surely like, hopefully this doesn't lead us to just some random place and we've got to figure out our way home. Because the maps was only showing us one way home. We had to follow these detour signs. And so we kept following it. It added like a 30-minute delay, but we got home. Those detour signs can be so annoying. But I have like this, this other thing that, we, uh, we, we, me and Vanessa get into this constant fight over uh, should we use Google Maps to get to places we know, already know how to get to. Now, I don't know if you're a Google Maps user or you're a, like a, you trust your bearings or Waze or Apple Maps or anything like that. But uh, my thing is like, I think maybe I am slightly scarred growing up knowing that Dad took an extra 30 minutes to get anywhere because he trusted his own navigational experience versus Google Maps. Because Google Maps is, you know, Google Maps is like live traffic reporting. So it will update you with like, oh, there's a new way to check out. You can save five minutes. Like, yeah, I want to always save the five minutes if I can. Um, Anyway, so like anytime, like we could be driving five minutes down the road to Vanessa's parents' place. I put on Google Maps every time. And Vanessa's like, how much time are we really going to save? But that's the thing, right? Like, Don't interrupt God's plan with your wisdom. Don't derail his promises with your own proposition. Like sometimes we're like, we're pretty sure we know which way to go and how we're going to get there and a better way. And God's God's way seems so difficult and strange and convoluted, but his, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's got live traffic reporting. He knows what's going on at all times across the whole sphere of the world. He knows everyone's stories and he knows how it all fits together perfectly. And so in his perfect time and in his perfect plan, when we obey, we reach that harvest. And um, I thought it was really interesting how Joshua commanded the people saying, don't shout, don't make any noise with your voice. Uh, Don't let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say shout. Uh, You know what it reminded me of? Um, It reminds me of when... uh, the angel silenced John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, for speaking doubt and unbelief. So Zechariah was an old man, and there was a word given to him saying that you're going to have a son. And he's like, are you, are you kidding me? I'm so old. And then the angel muted him. He was like, mute. And, um, and he couldn't say anything. And, and you know, it was interesting to consider that 
um, John's dad, Zechariah, was silenced because he doubted until John was born, uh, where Zechariah, another Zechariah, generations prior, was the prophet who spoke saying that God would make a way not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. Same two names. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a question to us. It's like, what type of prophet, prophetic person am I going to be? Am I going to be the person that's questioning everything God's inviting me to do? When he speaks clearly, am I questioning it all the time? Or am I like, God, lead me. I have no idea how to get this done anyway. This thing's crazy. This journey is insane. I'm going to follow you. And God's calling us to contend in that way. Isaiah 55 says, My ways are not your ways, uh, neither my thoughts your uh, thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, as the greatest satellite he has, traffic satellite, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we may not see, but we're called to believe. We may be discouraged, but we're called to lean in. We may not understand, but we're called to obey. God's calling us to believe, to lean in, to obey. These are three stories of breakthrough. Three men of God who contended, stood firm, did not waver. They saw promises fulfilled. Their encouragements to us. They're like, man, we, we can do this. This is possible. But there's this motif that's really beautiful. I want to address that motif. The number seven, it's all through there. And uh, I believe what can be missed in any faith journey that God invites us on by His Spirit is what we see motifed in these three stories. It's what ties the supernatural harvest together, these testimonies of breakthrough fulfillment. Okay, so we've got Elijah, the story where Elijah's contending for the rain. He checks seven times, okay? Seven times he's checking. He asks his servant, the servant sees the clouds on the seventh time. Uh, in Daniel, the story uh, where Daniel is fasting and praying, um, there's three times seven days of fasting. Now, uh, Hebraic literature uses so many like multiples of numbers. It's like a, a known thing in their literature that they use a lot of this stuff. Um, three also means, oh, I don't actually, spoiler alert, almost spoiled it. You probably know what it means. But three times seven days of fasting, and then he saw... This angel come to his aid. And lastly, Joshua, loaded with sevens, seven days of marching, seven priests with seven horns carrying the Ark of the Covenant, marching seven laps on the seventh day. Okay, seven, 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 seven. Explanation of seven. What's the explanation of seven? What's this mean? What's this mean? Okay, firstly, the first time we see this number seven used in Scripture, it's marked right at the beginning of time, right at the beginning of our Bible uh, it's used to mark when God completed, everybody say completed, when God completed creation. And he celebrates and he rests. Seven was like super symbolic in ancient, uh, like near Eastern uh, cultures and people groups, uh, including the Hebrews. And it communicated a sense of fullness or completeness because the word seven shared the same consonants as the word fullness. And so they, they were very, the words were quite akin. Uh, and it ov- obviously also makes sense that it's used all throughout Scripture. If you, if you do good Bible survey, you're like, okay, it's not just a one-off thing. It's all through Scripture. It's used seven, 735 times symbolizing completeness and perfection, both physical and spiritual, through Scripture. Okay, so if it's there in every other place to represent fulfillment or completeness, completeness of time, um, then what's that saying to us? 
What's that saying to us? It's not about the magic number seven. It's not like pray for seven days and you're going to be good or seven months or seven years or find your multiple of seven and you're going to be good or do the Daniel fast and you'll find it. No, seven means do not give up. Do not give up until the completed time. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. And here's the key, if we do not give up. What, 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 we can pull apart this scripture. First of all, don't stop. Don't stop doing good. For you will receive at the proper time a harvest. There's a time allocated for your harvest. It's coming. If God's promised it, you, got, you can be rest assured that it's coming. But then here's the last key. And we, we're a big variable here for this. If, 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 if we don't give up. If we don't give up. Joshua has these like seven days and seven, seven, seven. Like how many times were there opportunities to stop short of what God is calling us to? So man, the, it, this might be to the, to the husband and wife believing to fall pregnant or to the terminally ill patient waiting for a miracle or to the one who started a business venture, bought a home so generously to someone and now you're carrying some financial load. Uh, maybe it's to the, the faithful wife believing for a husband's salvation or maybe you're believing your son or your daughter, your mother, your father, your brother or sister's salvation. You've been praying. You're contending and you're believing and you're like, God, I know this is your will. I know that you've called us to walk into this inheritance. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Turn to your neighbor and say, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Do not give up. Don't give up the faith. Give him space. And I want to end with this. Why don't we all stand? Why don't we all stand? Let's all stand. Do not grow weary. Don't give up the faith. And give him space to fulfill his word. Not by might, nor by power. Not by anything that we could possibly add, but by His Spirit that He fulfills the Word. Don't give up faith. Hold on through to the end. Whatever your day seven is, get to day seven. Get to day seven. Get to day seven. Whatever that day seven is, get to day seven. And don't give up until you get to day seven. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like, man, we... Here in this church, we believe like uncompromisingly the Bible. And sometimes like that can, that can be a full on thing. You know, like when you're going through what you're going through in life and you're contending for something, you're yet to see fulfillment. Like what we're choosing is to honor God's word over what we're feeling. Honor God's truth over what we've experienced, the life we've lived, the things we've learned. And we're like, you know what? It doesn't seem, it's counterintuitive, but God's word said this. And you know what? It can hurt sometimes. But God is saying, don't give up. Don't give up because that harvest is there. And we've seen generations and eons of stories about God being faithful. And so my encouragement to you this morning is don't give up. Continue to contend. Revive a dream. If there's a dead dream that God's given you, revive it and go after it in Jesus' name. Awesome. All right. Let's actually, I'm going to pray for you guys. God, I just thank you that, that you invite us to contend by your spirit. And so, Lord, I just, I just ask that, that you'd strengthen us in this moment, just as you did to Daniel in his, in his grieving and his mourning. 
that you strengthened him. You came, you sent your angels, and you strengthened him. God, I just thank you that there's, there's a whole bunch of day sevens coming for a lot of people, but I pray that you would you'd strengthen them to get there, God, that you'd strengthen them to get there. Father, I pray that you'd uh, breathe fresh life into dreams this, this morning and into prophetic promises that you've spoken over people, things that we've laid down or put on the shelf that you're calling us to pick up off the shelf. God, I just pray that there'd just be a fresh vision that comes into us. Lord, we know that people without vision will perish. So God, reignite our vision again for who you've called us to be. And I just pray that any pain or trauma or things that have held us back because of experiences that we've faced um, that have contributed to us letting go of that dream and that joy set before us, Lord, I pray that that would all fall off right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the joy set before us, just as Christ endured the cross, that we would endure, God, and that we would find, we would, we would, we would get to that harvest. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.